It's good to see you all here this morning. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about gospel-centered worship. And so, a few questions. Uh, a couple of them we've actually been asked. Some of them you may be asking. Uh, why do we do what we do here on Sunday morning? What the heck are we doing here on Sunday morning? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, why do we do our gatherings a certain way? Uh, it seems we're a little bit liturgical. What, what's that about? Um, all valid questions, and we're not the first people to ever ask those questions. Uh, we see rhythms in life, and we see rhythms in the Bible. So, we want to look to the Bible as best we can to use or follow those rhythms, right? We use them in DNA. We use them in our MC life, okay? And so we want to use those in our worship gathering. Everything we're talking about this morning is in the Sunday morning worship gathering. Um, we don't want to become so uh, organized that we, you know, quote-unquote, edge the spirit out. You know, that's always the... The phrase, you're going to edge the spirit out? No, no. Uh, we actually, uh, we beg the spirit to show up. We need the blessing of his presence. Uh, without it, we could be the Rotary Club. Right? <laughs> if you don't have the spirit, go watch football. Go do something, anything else. Um, so, we look at scripture and um, we see where Paul says God is a God of order. And we see this in creation, right? Six days in creation, he did certain things. Uh, man is the head of his woman. And so we see this played out in the church. We see this beautiful thing in marriage where man is the head, wife comes alongside, and it's a beautiful uh, uh order that God created it's not an it's not an ugly thing it's a beautiful thing when it when it's a, when they go together right so we also see in the psalms we see a call to worship so on sunday mornings you we're going to have a call to worship we're we're going to have a psalm or 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 a, or a scripture we're going to pray we're going to sing and that that's going to stir our hearts hopefully to remember ah this is what we're doing here. This is what my soul has longed for. Uh, when, you, when you see, uh, you know, through the whole Bible that the scriptures were read publicly, that they were taught publicly, um, Moses read to the entire nation of Israel, and he had no he, he had to really be loud, right? He, he had some good lungs. <laughs> we, see, um, we, see, uh, we see where even in the New Testament that happens. And so um, you see his people responding, right? You see his people respond after he has encountered them in song and in worship, them giving of their offerings, both physical and spiritual, so the rhythm we see is we come into his presence. We are called to worship. We are taught the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
the Word of God. The Word of God. Then we repent. Or maybe we've spent the whole service repenting. Maybe it's been a rough week. (laughs) And now we respond to the God and His gospel that has saved us and healed us. That's what Sunday morning worship gathering is all about. So goodbye. We'll see you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Repentance is turning from the false Christ to the real Christ. You will never see Jared Kendrick or myself or any other elder that ever rolls up and becomes one of us telling you to be better, to try harder. If he does, he's probably going to get a 9mm in the leg. I'm just kidding. He's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're going to have a chat because that is not what we're about. We are about coming together and hearing the word of God, being pierced by that word, and repenting, turning to Christ. Because only he can change us. We will sing, we've talked about this before, we're going to sing old songs, we're going to sing new songs. There may be Sundays where there's a lot of old songs. Hey, we sang some old songs today. I didn't know some of those. Or, wow, I didn't know these new songs. We did a lot. It really doesn't matter. We're really going for what's the sermon about? What are we doing here? Okay? So the reason we do that, the reason we sing both old and new, is, um, again, to remind us, is we want to be reminded that God has been working long before we got here. That's why we sing the old stuff. And we sing the new stuff because we're actually commanded to. (laughs) David says, sing a new song. So we're going to sing new songs because God is incarnating what he is doing in his people here with us. It also reminds us that he's going to be working in his people long after we're gone. Until he returns. It could be a thousand years. It could be 10,000 years. But he will be faithful. So, if you look at our website, you'll see a a quote of what we, uh, kind of a synopsis, but um, it starts out, corporate worship is a regular gracious reminder that it is not about you. You have been born into a life that is a celebration of another. That's Paul David Tripp. I love Paul David Tripp. If you've never listened to him or read him, I strongly encourage you. When we gather as a family to worship, we are striving to make much of Jesus through theologically rich songs, prayers, scripture readings, expository teaching, and preaching of the Bible. And weekly communion is our desire to focus the hearts, minds, wills, and emotions of our people on the sufficiency and of the satisfaction in Christ above all else. Together, we see our brokenness and sinfulness and see the gospel as able not only to bring forgiveness, but also bring a sense of belonging in the presence of God. We worship with humility because our sins are great and God is holy. We worship with confidence because our Savior and his gospel are sufficient and God is our Father. We lead our people to engage with God through their hearts, 
minds, will, and emotions with the desired outcome of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus that is manifested in obedience. Weekly communion. Keep the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins vividly before our people. Expository teaching. Through books of the Bible, bring the whole counsel of God to bear on our people. Songs and prayers are selected for how accurately they portray God and His gospel, as well as how they lead our people to sing. The worship gathering is best experienced as a result of a life of worship and not a once weekly encounter with God. You're going to hear me say until my dying breath, do not expect to show up on Sunday morning and have this great worship experience if you have not worshiped Monday through Saturday. And don't expect to worship Monday through Saturday if you haven't worshiped with his people on Sunday. It's very difficult. God has again set a rhythm. He gathers his people. He encounters his people. And then he sends them out. He sends us out to a dead world to bring life. That's the rhythm. And so, as we think about... uh, Again, I'm going to read the Paul, Paul trip. Corporate worship is a regular, gracious reminder that it is not about you. You have been born into a life that is a celebration of another. So as we think about that quote, let's read, uh, we're going to read Isaiah 46, 8 through 13. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from the far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, since you're all that. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea? With doors, when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed its limits, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse 18, Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. 
So here we see that God could give most stand-up comedians a lesson in sarcasm, <laughs> right? Whether it be Chevy Chase or whoever, he could definitely show them a thing or two about sarcasm. This God appears rather other, doesn't he? I love uh, I love Mark Driscoll's uh, interpretation of what people think about Jesus. He he's not a hippie in a dress, driving around in a cabriolet, rocking out to the Spice Girls, crying a lot, wanting to do aromatherapy and drink hot tea with people. No, that's not the Jesus we serve. <laughs> that is not the Jesus we serve. God is very God centered. And he is bigger than we could ever imagine. I remember when I was a kid, I was a little big guy, and Jaws had just hit the, the big screen. It was everywhere. You couldn't turn on the TV without hearing, you know, the girl gets sucked down in the water. Well, we had taken a trip to Virginia Beach. Let's go to the beach. Jaws was just released. So I'm a little bitty kid, little bitty kid. And they finally get me in probably about that deep of water. And all of a sudden, people are running out of the water for their lives. Sharks! I mean, 50 people are running out of... So, man, you've never seen a, you know, a little kid run like I did. Well, guess what it was? Dolphins. It was a school of dolphins about... 300 yards out. I think the battery's dead. <laughs> I may have a battery in that. Um, so, since it's dead, I'm not going to wear it. So, um, I tell you the story not to entertain you, but, <laughs> although it is entertaining, but to remind us that the God, we go to this big God-sized swimming pool and we see a shadow in the water and we run for our lives. And this God said, hey, see, you can stop right there. Have you ever sat in the water and let a wave hit you in the chest and it just about knock you over? We are very, very small. We are very small. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the chief end of God is to glorify himself and enjoy himself forever. So does that mess with you a little bit? Does that shock you? Does it make you, wait, I thought God was humble and it, uh, that confuses me a little. I hope it doesn't. Because we serve a holy, good, and glorious God. And we can rest in the fact that if He is for His own glory, because there is nothing higher than God. Can you think of something higher than God He should set Himself on? You? Me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because He is the highest. We can be filled with His everlasting joy. He is the highest anything we could ever know, possess, or experience. Whether it's food, family, love, entertainment, 
or even the most beautiful places in all the universe. God is the most valuable, weighty, glorious reality. So, he's so other that we can't even begin to understand him without the revelation of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. How, how, how are you going to understand God at all? And even through Christ, my personal opinion is it's still fairly shallow. <laughs> at this same time, this triune God of all creation adopts us into his fellowship. Isn't that crazy? And he invites us into his joy. Remember, he had joy within himself. He didn't need us at all. And we are, um, when we gather together, okay, when we gather together as a covenant body to be encountered by him, we are remembering who and what he has done as well as what he is doing in and through us. Remember, we're going to say this all the time, and it's not something we came up with. God is gathering a people to display his glory to and to display his glory through. That is the purpose of God. That is the purpose of God. So God is gospel-centered. God is the gospel. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. We get God. That's the gospel. It's not streets of gold. It's not perfect trees and perfume in the air and, and pretty flowers. No. Who cares? If heaven is paved by gold, what does that tell you about if gold is pavement, really, what's more weighty? The person who's there. So let's read Ephesians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might, uh, might be to, to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? That's, that's some weighty, rich, beautiful words. So we see this God 
So I want, I want I just real, real quick. He, he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So before there was time, space, and matter, He had already called you by name and set you apart. What does that do to your heart? In love, He predestined us for adoption. I know many times people say, when you say the word predestined, whether you're reading a scripture or not, people say, that just doesn't sound, God doesn't sound very loving in that. That's a lie of Satan himself. How do I know that? Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, just said, in love, he predestined you. So if you are here and you hate your sin, you want it to die. I mean, you want to murder it. And you see Christ as most beautiful. And you love his people. Then brother, sister, you were adopted before time ever began. Does that cause you to want to worship? Does that fill you with joy? If it doesn't, I have no clue what will. I have no clue. So this should cause us to long to be with God's people. This should cause us to wake up on Sunday morning and go, yes, I get to meet with His people and be encountered by God. So when we gather, gospel-centered worship gatherings, right? Everything is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Almighty. When we gather, the gospel will be central, for it is the reason we have to sing. It is the reason we long to hear the word proclaimed. It is the reason we give of our time, talents, and possessions. It is the reason we can pray and confess our sins knowing that we are forgiven. The gospel is the reason we can gather as family, hear the word, confess sin, and then feast on and with Christ. And at that point, it is the gospel, the good news of the redemption of our bodies, that we are filled with joy to sing back to Him the praise and worship that He is due and worth. God is the gospel. We get God. We will see Him. Because we will be as He, John tells us. We will see the face of Christ Almighty. When we gather together each week to take time out and to do all this, to celebrate what what God has done Monday through Saturday in us, this is kind of our air war, right? Right? MC life is ground war. This is air war. So let's talk about that. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the, for, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, again, when we gather, we are worshiping with all the saints that have gone on before. Does that mess with your mind too? <laughs> we, we are, there are many theologians who believe that Hebrews could have been a sermon preached by Paul. I don't know, I wasn't there. Uh, there are several theologians that believe that the Hebrews is the new Deuteronomy. Okay, so we remember that we're not alone. That there is a there's a faith handed down. That that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he seated? Anybody know? Why is Christ seated? Because he is a victorious king. And when he said on the cross, it is finished, he's done. He is seated because his work of salvation is done. He is conquering king and he can sit down. So, we're a part of the story of God. How awesome is that? Worshiping God rightly is a form of warfare unlike the world has ever seen. Guns, tanks, knives, swords, trebuchets, dynamite, you know, nuclear warheads. Worship? Really? For in the end, it is the martyrs who are glorified. And their murderers will be tortured in the presence of the Lamb Revelation 14. God will do what He said He will do. He will save us. And there is not a power on earth that will stop it. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8. If you forget that, oh church, if you forget that, there have been times in my life when all I could do is read Romans 8 and white knuckle with everything I had to hang on to those verses. Because that's all I had. They were a foundation under my feet. He's chosen me. He's predestined me. He's sanctified me. There's a purpose. I just got to hang on. I just got to hang on. And hang on to me. So in our worship gatherings... If you've noticed, I've used a lot of scripture. That's because poems don't quite do it. <laughs> Skits don't quite convey what we need to convey. Clips of Seinfeld won't quite get you there. Gospel-centered worship through the word. Through the washing and regeneration of the word. If something needs to get cut, it'll be songs, not the Word of God. Hebrews 4. 
Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Since then we have since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This language is language of the altar from the Old Testament. So when we gather together, it is our sincere hope and prayer as your leaders that, that the Spirit would use His Word to cut us up, to convict us of sin, and then bring us back and heal us with the proclamation of the gospel. Think about, think about when Peter preached, what happened? The men were cut to the heart. And then what happened? They repented. They believed. They turned to Christ. Don't think you don't need that. Don't think I don't need that. I need to be cut to the heart all the time. And I need to be restored. So, in the Old Testament, the law was read, as we talked about, to the entire nation of Israel. Uh, we can look at Jesus. He reads from Isaiah 61 in the temple. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The book of Romans tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do you do that? Well, the Word of God. That's how we do it. So we see a pattern of God's people reading and learning and being changed by Him through the Word in the public gathering. Not that it can't happen privately. Remember, everything we're talking about is here. So we will continue that pattern because it is in Scripture. You would probably be worried about us if we said, we're just not going to pray. We're just going to pray. We're just saying, I'm going to preach. We're going to talk, have a little conversation. Y'all probably all leave. We will work through the books of the Bible, and we're going to let it show us again and again and again and again that Jesus is the hero. And we are not. We are not the hero. If I'm the hero, I'm in big trouble. I am not slaying the giants in my life. <laughs> Jesus slayed the giant of sin and death. You don't get to be the hero. I don't get to be the hero. Christ is. 
We're going to let the scriptures call us back home to his open arms. Think about the faithful father. He sees his son who has squandered so much of his life, a whole bunch of money. And what does he do? He runs to him. He puts his arms around him. He kisses him. Puts a ring on his finger. So after we have done all these things in worship gathering, we're going to respond. We're going to respond to this God who encounters us, who calls us back home. We're going to celebrate with communion, with tithes, with offerings. We have a basket here. You're not paying for your bread and juice. So we start our gatherings with a call to worship. Scripture, song, prayer. And we end with a feast. The faithful father, after weeping over his son in joy, says, kill the fatted calf. Get the band. Let's rock this thing. Get out the good wine. Let's go. My son who was dead is back. And I'm giving him everything. He's got a whole new inheritance. Let's feast. So this... This meal is a celebration. It's a covenant renewal every week. It should never get old. Let's listen to Spurgeon about this. Spurgeon is one of my heroes. If I ever have a son or adopt one, he will be named after him partially. So if you steal it, you will come under elder discipline. (laughs) Kidding. Seriously, though. Um, So... (laughs) So with the Lord's Supper, my witness is, and I think I speak the mind of many of God's people now present, that coming as some of us do weekly to the Lord's table, we do not find the breaking of bread to have lost its significance. It is always fresh to us. I have often remarked on the Lord's Day evening, whether the subject may ha- whatever the subject uh, may have been, whether Sinai has thundered over our heads or the plaintive notes of Calvary have pierced our hearts, it always seems equally appropriate to come to the breaking of bread. Shame on the Christian church that she should put it off to once a month and mar the first day of the week by depriving it of its glory. In the meeting together for fellowship and the breaking of bread and showing forth the death of Christ till he come. They who know the sweetness of each Lord's day celebrating His supper will not be content, I am sure, to put it off to less frequent seasons. Beloved, when the Holy Ghost is with us, ordinances are wells to the Christian, wells of rich comfort and near communion. It's beautiful. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers and the prayers. Uh, Many theologians believe that the early church had communion at least once a week. At least once a week. Paul warns us that if we take communion wrongly, 
that we could get sick and or die. That's kind of frightening. Jesus tells his disciples, remember when a whole bunch of them said, man, I'm out of here. This cat has lost his marbles. You know what he said to them? If you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And that was literal language. And they went, cuckoo, I'm out. So, then Jesus also tells us, uh, Paul, excuse me, tells us that we are proclaiming his death until he comes. Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So this is a memorial, but it's more than that. Baptists are very scared when you start talking like this. Is he going Catholic? I'm out of here if he is. No, we're not going Catholic. There is something about communion you're not meant, we are not meant to understand. But apparently, if you do it wrongly, bad things can happen. Do not treat it flippantly. It is mere bread and wine, juice, excuse me. Maybe one day we'll get there. We'll have two lines. Um, but this is not a, something to be trifled with Paul makes it very clear so after we have heard the word we've repented right we've remembered we've given of our tithes and offerings we are invited to a feast. And though it is a mini feast, it points us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that feast has no end. The Lord of the wine has a table prepared for us that He purchased with His very precious blood and broken body. And He will spend all of eternity, all of eternity, displaying the riches of His grace on us. Who, who's like this God? And so we feast. And, and in feasting, they're singing, right? I mean, think about the, the hobbits. You know, they're singing and the grain dragon. Yeah. They're feasting, they're singing, there's happiness, there's joy. So we're going to sing in response of, of this great and mighty God that fulfilled the law for us, that died a gruesome death before us, that laid death in the grave for us, that predestined us, that called us, that justified us. And is sanctifying us right now. Right now. Paul tells us in the psalm to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we will because this is the God that Revelation tells us. Now this, if this is right here. This is the kindling. Let it light. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest who are God, and they shall reign on the earth forever. Who is ready to feast and to sing? Our gracious, beautiful Father that calls us that sees us in our sin and comes running with a ring and a robe and a kiss. We are so grateful to be your sons and daughters. We are so grateful. I pray that we are filled with joy this morning, that we are ready to overflow to repent if we haven't already and to see the beauty of the gospel to see the beauty of your son to see the beauty in your people let us worship you give us the gift of repentance restore us It's in your strong, beautiful name we pray. Amen.